Evangelism. There are few words in the English language that spark as much fear in the hearts of those on the giving and receiving end of this activity. And yet Jesus calls all believers to share the good news with others. But what if it didn't have to be so intimidating? Hi, I'm Charles Morris, and you're listening to the Great Stories Podcast. In a moment, you're going to hear from John Dixon, a scholar and an author from Australia with a heart to engage unbelievers with the Bible. In this conversation, we talk about the best-kept secret of Christian mission, which also leads to him telling his own story of coming to Christ through the simple act of hospitality. If you have ever wanted to share your faith with others, but have been too intimidated to do so, then you're not going to want to miss this podcast. In 2015, we were only able to air a fraction of this interview on the radio, so I'm excited to share the full discussion with you now. Let's get started. Welcome to Haven Today, and we're having on the air today somebody that we had on a few years ago. His name is John Dixon. You'll quickly understand that he's an Australian. Uh, so, John, let me just welcome you back to our radio program after an absence of three years. Thanks, Charles. Great to be with you. We had you on the last time. And people really responded to what we were talking about, that I thought it would be important to have you on again. And um, you just have this fascination, even though you're a scholar, uh, you happen to be a pastor in Australia, you have this fascination with trying to figure out how to share faith with others. And your faith always leads back to Jesus. Now, how did you even get started with this? Uh, you know, did you grow up in the proverbial Christian home? What, what, what happened in your own life? I grew up in a very typical Australian home, which meant um, no, no religion. Uh, so very, That would be very common. Oh, very common. In Australia. Um, about 10% of Australians go to church regularly, and regularly is defined as once a month. And how would that probably figure with the U.S. or Canada? Uh it's uh, even a little bit lower than Canada, and it's a lot less than uh, the U.S. The U.S., I okay. think, is about 45%. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we're very low. Most, most people never darken the door of a church, and that was me uh, until mm -hmm. I was 16. Mm -hmm. But um, one of the weird things in Australian history is that um, the church ran all the schools in the very early colony, mm -hmm. and when the government took the schooling over, there was a kind of agreement that there would be a little bit of Christianity allowed in state schools, which yeah. I know is very different to the American context. Right. And as a result, there, there in many uh, state schools around Australia, there is this half an hour a week slot where volunteers from the local church or nowadays synagogue or mosque or whatever are allowed to come and teach students on a voluntary basis. So it's an obligatory deference to religious heritage. It is. Uh, and you can choose not to go, which means you go to what's called non-scripture, where you're supervised <laughs> by a real teacher for half an hour. So we all chose to go to the, the scripture lesson. You, you mean you'd have to study or something if yeah, you actually well, you'd went have to do to homework the... and be with oh, a real teacher. Oh, well, so terrible. much better to go with a little old lady from down the road from the local church who would come up and she was sweet. So I, I had this extraordinary scripture teacher when I was 15 who had an amazing way of articulating the Christian faith. And she could tell that a few of us were intrigued about Christ. 
And then she did something quite extraordinary one day. She wrote her address on the whiteboard and said, you're all uh, welcome to come to my home for hamburgers, milkshakes and scones. That did it for you, right? On Friday afternoons. (laughs) And uh, so a bunch of my mates and I just turned up at her house, ate her food and then braced ourselves for the God bit. But she actually had an amazing way of just fielding our questions and gently pointing us to Christ. And she knew that we knew very little, so she read the Gospels to us over the course of the next many Friday afternoons. So so burgers, milkshakes, scones, Gospels. Bible, <laughs> or Gospels, right. Yeah, and uh, I found myself over the weeks and months um, turning into a fan of Jesus. I wasn't quite yet a Christian, uh, but I was a fan. And uh, if people criticized Jesus at school in, in those days, I would, you know, I'd almost fight them. You know, because I, I wasn't yet a believer, but, but I revered him. I thought, you know, he was great. But eventually, sure. after about maybe a year of doing this, um, my mates and I, three of my mates, um, became Christians. We really mm. knew this figure from the Gospels as our Lord, our Savior. And it really changed everything. It inspired all that came after that in terms of, you know, we started a band straight away uh, because we thought we wanted to uh, promote Christ. And we thought we had we had the idea of um, starting a band and singing songs about Christ. We'd never heard of Christian music. I know that sounds <laughs> odd to an American ear, but Christian music isn't that big in Australia. We thought we invented the idea I see. of being okay. in a Christian band. <clears throat> so we started this band and... Um, and we played in pubs and clubs and because there's not a big Christian music scene in Australia. Right. We just played in the regular places and shared our faith. And after a while, after, after the school years, the band took off. And that was my first mm-hmm. career slash ministry so you, was you, singing. You, you didn't know yet you were going to be a scholar one day then. You were playing in your band. Oh, no. And none of my teachers would ever have imagined <laughs> <laughs> I would end up. <laughs> and by the way, this is Dr. John Dixon who we have on the program today. Go ahead. Well, then. for me, um, the scholarship I don't think of myself really as a scholar. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, I've always had this passion to make Christ more public. And starting the band was one way of doing that. The writing the books was one way of doing that. And scholarship seemed a way of doing that. Um, because after um, six years in the band, I became very worried uh, I would be, how shall I say this, shallow, even if impressive. You know, um, you sing the same songs in every town. You tell like the same stories. Comedian. Yeah, you're going a little, from a little bit like night that. to night, but it's the same thing. It's the same thing. And I didn't really know my Christian history. I didn't really know my Bible, didn't know philosophy. So the band disbanded and four of us went to seminary Wow! and uh, did honors degree in theology. And, and I surprised myself by doing pretty well, and after that, enrolled in a master's and then in a PhD program at a secular university. Mm. And that's where you teach today, yeah. uh, as well as being a pastor of a church uh, half-time, yeah. which but is it's all the interesting same thing. thing. It's, it's all me just trying to make Christ public, wow. um, I, because I think scholarship is important for, uh, to um, interact with where the world is at. So I want to I be a scholar only to the extent that it will help me um, graciously and informatively respond to the criticisms people have of the church. And I want to be a pastor of a church, which I am now, um, half-time at least, because I think the local church is the most powerful apologetic mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that there is on the planet. Now, I, I, I want to move ahead, but I've got 
I can't let you leave Mrs. whatever her name was. Mrs. Weldon. Mrs. Weldon. Whatever happened to Mrs. Weldon? Well, we would catch up with her um, pretty regularly. Um, in fact, I saw her um, four weeks ago. She's now very, very frail. Yes. And um, not doing so well in the body, but um, still soaring in her spirit. And you can be always grateful to the Lord oh, and for I am. bringing and she's, her into your she's life. She's extraordinary. And I've had the privilege of taking my kids to her home and mm. she would make mm. hamburgers, milkshakes and scones <laughs> for them just as a little joke. Um, so, yeah, no, she's, um, she's a saint. Let's talk about um, uh, we, the, the world we live in today, John. And it's so easy for those of us who become Christians and, and the Lord gets hold of our lives and yet then we escape into the Christian ghetto and we never share our faith. There's this heavy burden we carry always, the, the backpack that just always weighs us down, that I ought to be sharing my faith and I'm never sharing my faith. Uh, what do I do about that? I, I mean, you've not only thought, but I'm, I know you've prayed about this and, and you've actually kind of have a strategy that you carry out in ministry as well as just everyday teaching. I think you can't get away from um, two things. One is kind of theological and spiritual and the other is just entirely practical. The, the, the theological spiritual thing is, for me, the solution to Christian shyness about speaking for Jesus is not to think of the burdensome command to mm. proclaim Christ. It's it's pretty heavy, isn't uh, it? Yeah, and, and when pastors lay that on their people, I think people shrink in their seat. Mm. Um, but the solution is not that. The solution is a fresh uh, vision of Christ's lordship over everything. So you get this in 1 Peter 3, always be prepared to give an answer for your faith, is actually introduced by the statement, set apart Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer. Mm. And mm. the idea here is that Christ's Lordship inspires our speaking for Jesus. But it's the same with the uh, Great Commission. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. It's only when you have a fresh sense of who really owns the room Mm, that, mm. that you feel confident in every room. Mm. Um, if we're worried by our politicians, if we, f if we fear them, if we fear our talk show hosts, if we fear the new atheists, if we somehow get into our head that they're ruling the agenda, we will be shy. But if you know that Jesus owns every room, that Richard Dawkins and the atheists don't own the room. They don't own it, yes. Uh, then it just, I, I think it makes you the best version of yourself. You might not all become Billy Graham's. Because uh, we're all wired differently, but you'll be right. the best version of yourself for Christ. So that's the theological thing. And, and, and the more practical thing is you've got to mix with people who don't believe in order to have any sympathy and connection with them. Like be a neighbor. Yeah, just be a neighbor. And, and don't even do it as like a strategy. I'll invite them over and, you know, and, and, <laughs> I will and set the table and a certain dessert, way. You know, exactly. I'll, I'll, I'll segue to how sweet Jesus is or something. <laughs> don't like, just don't be that um, <laughs> crass. Um, but, but just connect with those who don't believe. Because what happens when you really connect with them, just at a normal human level, is you start to feel sympathy for yes, them. Yes. And you start to see how they think. And that is, I think, the key to connecting with our world that doesn't believe. It, it starts with a kind of sympathy toward them. Might I even use the word love 
for them. Yeah, but but sometimes we we Christians use the word love as a uh, kind of theological uh, thing. Uh, of course, uh, I, I yeah, love yeah. I love my <laughs> it goes stereotypical neighbor. and it yeah. just won't work. Let me just tell anybody that's just joined us. You're listening to Haven today, and yes, this is an Australian we have on, Dr. John Dixon, and uh, he, he, he's uh, the co-director of the Center for Public Christianity. Uh, he teaches at a uh, university in Sydney, and uh, he also pastors, and in between that, you're a dad to three children. Uh, let me put you on the spot. Would you be a little vulnerable with me at this point on how not to do it? Uh, you meet an atheist. I'm thinking something that, that you've shared with me in the past. You meet the atheist, and you do it all wrong. Oh, yeah. You mind telling me that story? And I think you know the one I'm I've talking about. I've made world-class mistakes in this area, so uh, I could roll out any story. But um, <laughs> perhaps referring to the time, uh, I was in a, a bar with, with a lot of friends who aren't Christians, and they introduced me to a good friend of theirs who was a self-made millionaire and an atheist. And when he found out what I did, uh, it sort of sparked a really interesting conversation. And he told me all that was wrong with Christianity. And I'd, I tried my best to be really gracious and gentle and respectful. And, and what's he saying and, is wrong with Christianity? Oh, he was saying science had disproved Christianity. He said Christians are all hypocrites. And I was fine with that. But it was when he started to say that Christianity only became successful in the ancient world through violence, through armies, through the sword, that something, a switch went off in my head and I started to become really arrogant. It really annoyed but, but, me. Well, well you, you knew as an academic <laughs> uh, who had studied the original uh, yeah. uh, literature and history, that just wasn't true. Well, more than that, my PhD was in this exact topic. Uh, uh, okay. All right. So <laughs> you were the expert yeah, yeah. to correct him. But the thing is, I went for that and I shouldn't mm. have. And, and mm. I raised my voice. I... I mentioned authors he'd never heard of in multiple languages. Absolutely. Um, I, I told him out a couple of degrees. His eyes are glazing over yeah, by this and, point. But I could just see, although I embarrassed him, but the thing is I lost him as yes, well. Yes, And I won the argument and lost the person. And, and that, you know, that just must not be. Now, that's my nature to do that, actually, because I love mm -hmm. winning an argument. Mm -hmm. But you think of um, so many passages of Scripture – particularly 1 Peter 3 that says, always be prepared to give an answer, but with gentleness and respect. Right. Or Paul says almost the same thing. He says, let your conversation be always uh, filled with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So grace, gentleness, respect, uh, these are the things I need to remind myself are the key. And I, and I love to tell the average Christian that you already know how to answer every single question on the planet. And, and they'll say, no, I don't. I don't know how to answer every question. Yes, you do. You know how to, how to answer every question. You answer it with gentleness and respect and grace. Even if you don't know the content of the answer, you know how to answer. And that's the key thing because that conveys the spirit of the gospel just as much as any technical answer. You know, isn't that interesting, John? Most of us uh, have been uh, uh, have, have had the, the strap of the Great Commission laid on us and, and, and told you need to do it. And then we're taught a little method as opposed to what's behind the method. And, and in 1 Peter 3, as you pointed out, and then also in Paul as well, gentleness uh, to share our faith. Uh, let me just ask you flat out. Does that work? Do people come to Christ when gentleness is exercised? Of course they do, because th that takes you to the heart of the gospel. Um, if the gospel of Christ's self-giving on our behalf is spoken with arrogance, isn't that discordant? Mm. Mm. But if the gospel of Christ's self-giving on our behalf 
is spoken with a spirit of self-giving, there's uh, harmony between my speaking and the content that I'm speaking about. And people are drawn uh, to faith. The, the doctrine of grace must be delivered with grace. Mm. And I, mm. I could, I could tell you um, story after story of people in my own church who have come to know Christ partly through the intellectual journey, but principally by being confronted with lives of grace that beautify the gospel of grace. John, uh, thank you. That That's probably the most encouraging approach anyone has ever shared with me on how to share my faith, and it's coming straight out of Scripture. John Dixon, you are from Australia. Uh, you were recently in Canada. Uh, you ran into a bunch of Americans, including a special American who was famous in an elevator, but you didn't know who she was. Well, I, I knew she was part of the uh, World Cup winning soccer team yes uh, you know that brilliant unbelievable performance over Japan and uh, they were staying in the same hotel I just checked into and I got stuck in a lift with one of the players and she had her gold medal around her it was just of a couple course. of hours after the game oh, my goodness, and surrounded yes. by all her friends and I was the only non-friend in the lift and we we're going to the top floor right okay and um, and I turned to one of her friends as they were sort of cheering and carrying uh-huh. on I said who is this am I meant to know this person and um, this friend said you don't know and I went, no, I'm, I'm Australian. I, what, I, what do I know? And he said, well, I'm not going to tell you. Oh. It was like, okay. <laughs> right, the the right. logic was, you know, she's so great, I ought to know. And if I don't know, I deserve not to know. It was like this really right, strange right. thing. And, and it, it, Very un-American, also un-Australian probably, oh, well, but, yeah, it, indeed, it, but that day. Yeah, um, it, it's sort of the opposite logic of that beautiful 1 Peter 3 passage that says, uh, set apart Christ as Lord in your heart, always being prepared to give an answer. Because for Peter, it's knowing how great Jesus is that leads to speaking up for him. But this this guy I met thought she was so great he wasn't going to tell me anything about her. He's just flipped it and reversed it, yes. It was weird, but kind of delightful. I I got a snapshot of it anyway. (laughs) Well, yes, you did. John, did you ever find out who she was? Yes, um, Hope Solo. Oh, my the goalkeeper. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and so I've Googled her and, you know, I, she's amazing. What an incredible athlete. And what a cool name for a goalkeeper. Oh, absolutely. Always living in hope and always on her own on the back line there. <laughs> <laughs> now, now go, go back with me a little more to First Peter and, and, and how that was like a wake-up call, what her boyfriend or friend or whoever it was who refused to tell you who she was. How should that relate to me as a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, the, the thing is, when you know how great Christ is, it shouldn't lead to that kind of, well, frankly, smugness. I'm and not look, going to share And looking down on the world, you know, like, oh, you should know and I'm not going to tell you. Obviously, if we follow the Lord who gave himself up for his enemies, mm-hmm. how, could, how could we not just interpret that as meaning we need to likewise give up ourselves give up smugness and condescension mm, mm. and share Christ, well, gently and respectfully, which is what Peter goes on to say. Mm. John Dixon, Christians as well as non-Christians in the Western world are so concerned about Islam and uh, ISIS uh, today. But yet uh, there is also, isn't there out there this strain where a lot of people in the West who have rejected Christianity think that we're a violent religion, too. 
They sure do. And, and not just violent, but um, imperialistic, bigoted, hateful, uh, inhibit culture, refuse science. Racist. Racist. Whatever. Yes. Uh, and the famous atheist Christopher Hitchens put it as religion poisons everything. And he mainly meant Christianity. So it is an extraordinary thing. We have shifted in our culture in the last 10 years from maybe 10 years ago, people thinking Christians were too righteous, too moral. Nowadays, it's far more common to hear people say, actually, Christians are immoral and bad for society. They poison culture. And, you know, for those of us who sit in our little churches week by week, knowing all the lovely people and lovely things that are done, it just seems so weird that people would say this. But the problem is there is a bit of Christian history to back up that perspective. So, and I don't just mean the sort of Roman Catholic crusades and inquisitions. I mean, there are Protestant horrors as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my great theological heroes, Martin Luther, John Calvin, did write things in the case of Martin Luther about European Jews mm-hmm. that are really quite disgusting. Now, I love Calvin, he, he, a theological hero for me, and but but he did say and and approve of things that, that I'm now embarrassed about. Mm-hmm. And Christians today can do terrible things. They can be smug and hateful and so on. Um, and when, when people bring this criticism up to me, I always want to concede it f- up front. Mm-hmm. I don't want to quickly go and defend Christianity. Because, go on the defensive. No, or, or, or after even... all, we, we believe that we're sinful. So we should be able freely to be able to admit to admit yes. that we're rotten through and through. That's right. Because we're yes. not the ones who believe that myth that we're good through and through and only getting better. What a, what an oppressive myth that is, right? Mm-hmm. You know, how would mm-hmm. I how would I live with all the counter evidence every morning? You know, in my life. Right. Um, but but after conceding that it is partly true, I, I guess I want to point out to people that um, anyone can tell from a long distance that a violent, imperialistic, bigoted, hateful Christian is not following Christ, they're departing from Christ. And may never have known Christ either. Well, but, but, but some but may some have known... Yeah, some may have known Christ, but have not following yes, Christ. Yes, yes, yes. The problem with a hateful Christian is not their Christianity, it's their departure from right. Christianity. And it's a little bit like um, if you heard my nine-year-old girl, Josie, attempt to play the cello suites by Johann Sebastian Bach, <laughs> one, of the most, one of the most sublime pieces of music ever right, written. Right. Uh, you might not think Johann Sebastian Bach could write very good music because she can't play the cello. Right. But right. if you heard Yo-Yo Ma right there... there then uh, I'd take the earplugs out of my would, ears. You would and, say, uh, oh my goodness, that is a beautiful tune. Yes. You see, you know how to distinguish between the beautiful composition and the very ordinary performance. And that's what we need to do with Christianity. Jesus wrote a beautiful composition. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. And he died to prove it. And Christians haven't always sung in tune with that. But we need to distinguish between the composition and the performance. And thank God, many Christians do sing in tune with the composition Jesus wrote. And so I urge people who don't believe to look at the best performance of Christianity and judge Christianity on that basis. Don't judge it on the basis of a bad performance. Mm. Uh, John Dixon, uh, are we too quiet about our faith today? And, And... if you think we are, why do you think we are? Part of me wants to say there are some Christians who are too noisy. <laughs> uh, but, but, let, but let me let, Sounds let like that in one... a very bad way. <laughs> well, let, let's let that pass. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I think the average Christian um, is feeling a bit shy and, and they are a little bit quiet. And there could be a range of reasons for that. Um, some... 
are shy because they've just got a shy personality. That's just how they're wired, right? They mm-hmm. can they can hardly tell a joke in public, let alone right. say Jesus died and rose again. Um, there are others who perhaps are insecure about the intellectual questions they might be asked mm-hmm. because, let's face they it. They don't feel up to it. They don't. And the questions being thrown at Christianity in the last 10 years or so are very serious questions. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of Christians say, well, I'm going to keep my head down because I'm not sure I could answer that question. And that's, that's why they're quiet. And others, I think, have this corporate inferiority complex that's entered into the church in a sort of corporate way, which sort of says, um, it, we, we, some of us have come to feel that all the world thinks all Christians are idiots, and so we we keep quiet lest we you know prove, prove that to them be the right. case. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> but either way, uh, whatever the cause of Christian coyness and shyness, the the solution uh, is not a command. Uh, it's it's not even to insist that we love people more. The solution is a fresh vision of how great Jesus Christ is. Mm. Because if you know he is the Lord of every breath, of every space, then speaking up for him is just the natural overflow of worship. Mm. It isn't a burden at all. Mm. And, you know, I, I, I worry about this because all of my Christian life, since I came back to the Lord after my 20s running from the Lord, and I've heard these sermons over and over and over and 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 really they're beating me up and 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 so I feel I feel this need to carry out the great commission and I don't know how to do it and I want to do it now you've pointed out first peter first peter 3 gentleness and and love and have an answer for what you should say as paul tells us but how do I do it, John? Well, the beautiful thing about what the new testament says on this topic is that it doesn't all come down to speaking the gospel to people. Mm. The New Testament has a range of activities that it connects explicitly with the advance of the gospel. So uh, giving financially to the work of the gospel is described by Paul in Philippians 1.5 and Philippians 4 as partnership with the gospel. Mm. Wow. When you give money to the work of the gospel, it's like you're a partner with the Mm -hmm. proclamation of the gospel. Then there are many texts that say the godly life you live will cause the light of God to shine, thinking of Matthew 5. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let your light shine that people may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And you find that same theme all the way through the New Testament. Your life actually does promote the gospel. Um, Our prayers advance the gospel. There are so many um, exhortations in Scripture to advance the gospel by praying for the work of the gospel. Jesus Mm -hmm. said, the Mm -hmm. harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest. The solution to the problem is to is, just ask, is ask, is pray. And Paul picks this up and he says, pray for me and my team that we would open our mouths with great power. Um, prayer for the work of the gospel, uh, for me, is the fundamental. That's the most mm-hmm. basic mm-hmm. missionary duty of the Christian. Because in prayer, we lift the work of the gospel above circumstances into the hands of the one who governs everything. Just help me chew on this just a little bit more. Uh, the work of an evangelist is described by Paul as as a gift that's given, and yet we are all called to evangelize. How do I square those two? Well, I think the way Paul actually describes it is we are all called to be partners for the gospel. H- hence what you just shared a yeah. moment ago. Um, the it, Scholars uh, continue to debate 
why Paul doesn't explicitly in in his letters tell Christians generally to proclaim the gospel. I mean, mm-hmm. that may sound um, heretical, but it, it's quite quite clear. Nowhere in Paul's 13 letters does he say to the average Christian, you have to preach the gospel. But he does many times say you've got to promote the gospel, be a partner for the gospel, pray for the work of the gospel, give an answer for the gospel. There's all sorts of things you can do for the gospel uh, that are partnership. And I think that's the best way for the regular Christian to think about their role. Don't carry the burden of the evangelist because that's not every Christian. Mm-hmm. But rejoice in the privilege of being a partner with that work in the way that you can given your circumstances, personality, and opportunities. And and rejoice with those who are gifted at evangelizing too. Absolutely, absolutely. And it, it's taken me years to realize I shouldn't just be imposing my own ministry and personality onto On all everybody Christians, else. Right, you yes. know, I'm an evangelist, sure. But I went for years telling everyone they have to just be like me. You know, right? It was <laughs> a terrible thing. And it dawned on me that's really all I was doing. And, and, so, and so it's taken a while to unlearn that and look at the New Testament afresh and see actually... The New Testament has a far more realistic approach to all Christians being partners in the gospel work, promoting the gospel as they can, and then there are some who are actually called to be evangelists. Great. John Dixon, you have written a lot of books, uh, but you have this book out on the best-kept secret. You mind sharing that secret with us? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I must say, I didn't choose the title. This was uh, oh, Zond- Zondervan's okay, okay. Uh, All right. Brainiac. Uh, yeah, it's called The Best Kept Secret of Christian Mission, and it, but its subtitle does give it away, Promoting the Gospel with More Than Our Lips. The mm. book is really about, uh, well, what is, what is not often talked about in churches, that the New Testament says there's a range of activities by which all Christians can promote the gospel. Uh, And this is through our godly living, this is through our prayers, this is through our financial giving, through our giving answers to questions, through our social interaction with those who aren't yet believers. Mm. These are all ways the New Testament explicitly connects uh, the advance of the gospel with the life of the regular believer. There's also stuff on straight evangelism in the book. Um, but, But actually, the focus of the New Testament is not on every believer being an evangelist. It's on every believer being a partner in the promotion of the gospel. Do you so, think through the centuries, or at least in the last century, in the 20th century, we got it wrong? I think there's been um, a pendulum swing in the last 50 to 60 years in evangelical Christianity. Because we got nervous Christians weren't being open about their faith, we, we swung the pendulum so far to say every Christian is an evangelist, and, and that's all we said, and forgot to say all these other things the New Testament reckons the average believer promotes the gospel by saying prayers, by et cetera, et cetera. And by teaching that, we laid the guilt trip on everyone in, yeah, and you in know our pews. It's like? it's like telling the team uh, that you've all got to be strikers. Okay, let me change football codes. That you've all got to be, <laughs> who's the guy who throws the ball? It is baseball the season. Quarterback. The quarterback. Uh, the quor- okay. You can do football or, okay. or it's baseball season See, in the U.S. Imagine telling everyone on the team, you've all got to be a quarterback. You're all called to be a quarterback. It's just not going to work. It works when you all know your place in the team. And everybody has a part. And everyone has a part. There are some things you all do, like you all run. You all, I don't know, crash into each other, <laughs> right? <laughs> Wear helmets. Uh, I don't know the game well enough. But anyway, uh, there are some things you all do, of course. And the New Testament would say that. All Christians pray for the work of the gospel, give to the work of the gospel, live the godly life, give answers. But not everyone's the quarterback. Not everyone's... Uh, the, the proclaimer of the gospel, the, the evangelist. And that's, I think, incredibly freeing. 
And the curious thing is, this is how evangelistic mission was taught in the early centuries of the church. Mm. After mm. the New Testament period, into the apostolic period, in those early centuries, they mm-hmm. never said things like, every Christian is evangelist. They mm. said there are evangelists, and then all of you need to find your way of promoting the gospel. I, John, let me just ask you about this. I, I don't see myself with the gift of evangelism, but the Lord does this strange thing with my wife and myself. Uh, every time we pray together or individually, Lord, would you just give us an opportunity to share our faith with each other? Strange things happen, you know? I mean, nobody on airplanes wants to hear me talk about my being a Christian nowadays. Uh, Ten years ago, another story. But I pray that prayer and they're just the most unusual things happen. People bring it up to me and just lead me into talking about my faith. So while maybe I'm not an evangelist, the Lord does bring us opportunities to just talk casually and normally and like we would with a friend about this Christ who's changed our lives and lives and with us. And the New us. Testament addresses that in at least two passages, the 1 Peter 3 one that says, always be prepared to give an answer. Yes. But Paul also says, let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Mm-hmm. So both apostles reckon that the conversational answering for the faith is a core part. And of, that can of be promoting... a part of everyone's Christian walk. Oh, and, it and certainly life. can. And because God ultimately is the evangelist, weaving his beautiful thing together. We, we Thank mustn't goodness lament, for that. <laughs> yeah, we mustn't lament um, the little thing we might be able to say to someone and, and walk away going, oh, I wish I'd said more. Because the Lord is sovereign and mm. he can take your little answer and do a beautiful thing with mm. it, leading someone to a, to a, a full-blown faith. And I've seen wow. examples of this over the years that have been mind-blowing. The simple answer some Christian gave someone who's not a Christian that actually led to their conversion. That's what the Spirit used. Mm-hmm. So I know a guy in Australia called Steve who's a plumber. And he was for many years not a believer and quite antagonistic toward Christianity. Uh, and one morning he was out cycling. They used to go ride, uh, road cycling with, mm-hmm. a, with a Christian mm-hmm. friend of his. And they were out cycling. And this was his one Christian friend. And Steve said to his Christian friend, oh, Christians, they're all hypocrites. They're one thing on Sunday, another thing on Monday. And this Christian friend of Steve's just said, Steve, oh, don't worry about them. God will look after them. Just worry about yourself and God. And Steve just, you know, went back to cycling. That's all the Christian said. And as they were going on, these words went round and round Steve's head. Just worry about yourself and God. Saturday afternoon... Steve got alone and was feeling really quite racked with guilt that he was in fact the hypocrite. Mm, mm. And he said that Saturday evening he said a little prayer, God, if you're there, I'm really sorry. <laughs> he went to church with his family the next morning. With all the hypocrites, right? And, and probably hadn't been, or at least in been, a very long no, time. had not been. And at that church service became a Christian. I kid you not. The next Saturday morning, he was out cycling with his Christian buddy again, all excited, said to his Christian buddy, I think I've become a Christian. And it was your words last week. And this Christian said, what did I say? I don't remember. Mm. And when I met both of these guys, they were laughing about the fact Mm. that something this Christian couldn't even remember saying was the thing that God used to draw Steve to a real faith. And Mm. that just reminds me that God can take the little thing you do and say for him and do something beautiful with it. Hmm. How does a Christian share their faith? The beautiful thing about the New Testament teaching on this topic is that uh, it doesn't all come down to being an evangelist. 
evangelism is crucial. The work of the evangelist mm -hmm. is wonderful. Mm -hmm. But the New Testament says you can actually advance the gospel through your godly living through your prayers for the advance of the gospel and for the salvation of your neighbors, uh, through your financial gifts to the work of the gospel. The New Testament has extraordinary things to say mm. about, about how money is a sacred thing when given to the work of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And of course, through simple answers to questions. Peter and Paul both say, uh, basically, be prepared to give an answer, but do it graciously, do it gently. Uh, the New Testament doesn't lay a big burden of guilt on people. It says to the average Christian, there are many ways you, given your personality and circumstances and opportunity, can be a promoter of Christ in the world in a powerful way. Mm. Would you just mind leading us in prayer? And, and, and I know we have people who just kind of tune in, at least a third of the people, uh, according to Barna, who listen to us every day are not born-again Christians. Uh, would you just pray for those who don't yet know Christ and those who do know Christ, please? I'd love to. Father, above all, we thank you for your love and your grace and how we pray for those who are uh, listening but confused about that grace, maybe have had bad experiences that have um, distorted their thoughts about you. Will you please be gracious to them, grant them clarity of mind and grant them opportunities to hear about your love revealed in Jesus Christ. Mm. And will you please open yes, their Lord. hearts to respond? And for the rest of us, Lord, who do know and trust you, help us not to be burdened uh, by a command to speak of you, but enlivened because we know who you are mm. and all that you have done for us. Mm. And may our speaking of Jesus be the overflow of our worship. We ask mm. this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. John Dixon, if I were an Australian living in Australia, I would want you to be my pastor. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks, Charles. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of Great Stories with Charles Morris. I also want to thank John Dixon for sharing what he calls the best kept secret of Christian mission. If you want to hear more conversations like this, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, please help us get the word out by leaving a five-star review. You can also go to haventoday.org to sign up for our weekly email and discover additional episodes posted on the blog. And as always, thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris.